only thing, only thing a sermon can do is ruin that. <clears throat> but if I let you go home, somebody sent an email this week and get on to me for paying me for not doing my job. So ruin it, I shall. Thank you so much for uh, helping us to understand our responsibility to raise a hallelujah to the Lord no matter what is going on in our lives because God is worthy of all of our lives. I want to invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Acts. We're going to look at a couple of different chapters in the book of Acts today, parts of those different chapters specifically. Uh, Acts chapters 6, 7, and 8, we'll look at portions of that. Uh, for the last several weeks, we have been uh, looking at the identity of First Baptist Church, what it is that we believe we should pursue and the things that we should chase. And, and I will give you some measure of comfort today. My, my son, who's in college, he, uh, uh, he, he's in the praise band at uh, the church he attends, uh, Pine Lake Church in Mississippi. It's uh, the largest church in Mississippi with campuses all over uh, the state. And uh, he's been plugged in with their college ministry, Mississippi College. And uh, he, he alternates playing the drums. In fact, I'm going in a couple of weeks, February 27th, I'll be going to spend Sunday with him as he, as he plays that day and my first time to be able to be with him in that context since he moved from here to go back to school. But he sent me a message this morning and, and he said that after they got done you know, practicing whatever, he said, I, I ran to the bathroom and, and the only place was the handicapped stall and, and I ran in there and he said, and, and a blind gentleman came in, knocked on the stall and asked, are you going? to be long? I said, son, that's okay. That's the same question I get every Sunday <laughs> from fill in the blank. <clears throat> you know who you are. We'll answer that question in just a few moments as we work through. Don't think, though, that we got three chapters to work through that we're going to have to be here that terribly long. I want us to think about the idea this morning of us living as dispatched disciples. And we've spent the last several weeks really focusing in on how God has called us to live as people who embrace the value of sharing the gospel. And, and we're going to look at, you know, several years ago, our, our staff got together and we said, okay, there are a lot of things we can do as a church, but what are some of the most important things that we must do as a church? And we identified six of, of some, some core values that we wanted to embrace as leaders in the church and that our deacons wanted to embrace as servant leaders of the church and that we want to ask you to embrace as members of the church of the Lord's family here at First Baptist Milton. And, and we now have spent, uh, now this is the, the, the third week that we have looked specifically at this particular idea of sharing the gospel. And, and we've spent that time doing that because I hope that you have been convinced or will be convinced that the idea idea of being a messenger of the gospel, that is not something that is reserved for a select few individuals. This is not something that is the calling of a special group of people or a group of people who have their act together. Rather, when we follow Jesus, when he calls us to follow him in a relationship with him, he also calls us 
to follow him, not just in salvation, but in saturation of our communities with the gospel message. The truth of the matter is this, the call to leverage your life for the sake of the gospel and the great commission, that calling was included in the call to follow Jesus. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He didn't give that uh, caveat of being fishers of men after he called them, down the road after he called them. He said, no, you follow me now in salvation, you follow me in discipleship, and I will make you fishers of men. It's not a question of if we are called to share the gospel. It is a question of where God has placed us to share it and how we are best equipped to share it. Every member of the kingdom of God is sent by Jesus into the world for the purpose of sharing the good news of Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection, and the eternal life that he offers every man, woman, boy, and girl. Jesus said this in John chapter 20 and verse 21. He said, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. That word sending means dispatched. Hence the title of the sermon today, Dispatched Disciples. We have been dispatched by God into the world. We are sent into this world for the same purpose that Jesus was sent. I want you to hear me this morning when I say that the plan of God, God's plan for reaching the world isn't for us to gather as a chunk of people and listen to one person or one teacher or one preacher. God's plan to proclaim the gospel is to send out ordinary people in the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I want us to look today at the life of an ordinary person. A man who did not spend one day in seminary. Just a regular man who God used to change the world. His name is Stephen. Not an apostle. Never wrote a book about Jesus. Doesn't have a PhD in theology. He's just an ordinary guy who realized that he was sent and God used him greatly. His story occurs in the book of Acts, and up until Stephen's narrative, as far as we know, the gospel had yet to leave Jerusalem, even though Jesus told them, the disciples, I want you to get this gospel out of Jerusalem and get it to every city, to every nation, to every place, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Even though he had said that, at this point, by the time we get to Stephen's narrative, that has not happened. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 has not yet occurred by the time we get to Acts chapter 6. Now, God had done some awesome things. I mean, there were 3,000 people saved in one church service. Uh, that was a pretty awesome thing. There were some miracles that broke out. There was a, a, a death that occurred because someone mishandled their offering. They lied about their offering. They lied about their offering. So, there were some big things. I don't write the mail. I just deliver it, friends. That's all I do. 
There were some big things that happened, but the gospel has yet to go forth from this one city. This changes with Stephen. In Acts chapter 6, he is chosen to help deliver food to some widows. In fact, if you look at Acts chapter 6, it tells us that now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you, not from the apostles, from among you just regular disciples pick out from among you some men that we will appoint full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom that we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer, the ministry of the word and look at who it tells us they picked out in verse 5. And what they said pleased the whole gathering and they chose Stephen a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. They choose to get some other guys to go with Stephen. And look at what happened in verse 7. As a result of that, the word of God continued to increase. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, still in Jerusalem. And a great number of the priests became obedient to the faith. The religious folks got saved. It's always a good sign when the church folks start getting saved. This is one ordinary man through his ministry, that this begins to occur. In fact, his influence was so great that it got the attention of the Jewish priest, and they started trying to, to discredit Stephen in any way that they could. In fact, it tells us in Acts chapter 6 and verse 10, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So they bring him before the Jewish council, and Stephen preaches the longest recorded sermon in the Bible. So in honor of him today, I thought, why not preach the longest sermon recorded in the history of First Baptist Milton? Just playing. <laughs> So y'all are like, now, now, Dr. Bamber, he only preached four minutes, and Dr. Spencer only preached eight minutes. I can already hear y'all giving me the, the numbers right now. So they bring him before this Jewish council. He preaches his sermon, and in essence, his message is this. You guys killed the Jews, and you guys killed Jesus. That's not the way they tell you to build a church in seminary. And he preaches this sermon, and I want you to notice that the meat of our text occurs at the end of chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him at Stephen. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he, Stephen, said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. 
And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day, the day that Stephen was killed, a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. This is the first time that the gospel leaves Jerusalem. It's the first time that the fulfillment of Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 happens and not a single apostle is involved, not even indirectly. Not a single apostle is among those who left that scene preaching the word. Stephen, this ordinary guy, his life is recorded in God's inspired word to give us an example of how the gospel is carried to the ends of the earth through ordinary people like me and like you. You see, I want you to compare Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it'll be on your screen, to Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. In Acts 1 8, God says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And notice that Luke repeats the phrase in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, and he tells us that they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. That it is through this ordinary man that the gospel goes and starts its journey to the ends of the earth. This dispatched disciple that God used to accomplish his purpose. Stephen is a picture of how every member of the kingdom of God is called to leverage their life for the sake of the gospel, to live a sent life, to live as a dispatched disciple. So the question then becomes, what compelled Stephen to do this? So I contend that from how I understand Scripture, Stephen held at least three convictions that moved him to be this dispatched disciple. Convictions that I believe if you will, I will embrace and grab a hold to today, if we will believe deep in our heart and allow to come through our hands and our actions, will allow us to live as dispatched disciples as well. Here are those convictions briefly this morning. Number one, conviction number one. God's Spirit fills me. Therefore, God can use me. 
I want you to understand. I want you. I don't care what your education background is. I don't care where you are in the education process. I don't care uh, what kind of street smarts you have. I don't care if you have more degrees than the thermostat. I don't care if you have zero degrees at all. I don't care what your bank account says. I don't care what it doesn't say. I don't care how powerful you are. I don't care how influential you are or think you are. What I want you to understand today is you. Y-O-U. You. The person who you see when you look in a mirror. God can use you. You. Not the person sitting beside you. He can. But I'm talking about you. God has always used ordinary people to carry the gospel from neighborhoods to the nations. Let me give you an example. If you flip over just a couple of chapters related to Stephen, to Acts chapter 11, you see that this church, a church starts in this place called Antioch. And just listen to how the church came to be. In Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 19, it says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, so this is people who were there that day, they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them. If you're an underliner, underline that, those words, some of them. Men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. There's that word, them, again. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas to Antioch, and Barnabas goes. He sees the grace of God. He sees how God is working in this church. But notice how it started. It started with some of them, some of them who were at the stoning of Stephen. Some of them moved to Antioch, and the hand of the Lord was with them, 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 some people whose influence and significance were such that Luke didn't even list their names because you'll never hear about them again. They were just ordinary people that God used to start this church at Antioch, and it was this church that first started using the word Christian. Ordinary people. How is it possible that ordinary people can do extraordinary things? The reason Stephen was so bold in his belief that God wanted to use him was because he knew, Stephen knew that the power of the Holy Spirit was within him. That is why when you read his life, the most common characteristic that's repeated about Stephen was that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, don't miss this, the Holy Spirit that empowered Stephen, the Holy Spirit that filled his life is the same Holy Spirit that's in your life right now. It's not, it's not like God said, here's Holy Spirit version 1 to Stephen, and here's 2.0 to everybody else. No, it's the same Holy Spirit. 
that empowered him, that enabled him to do what he had done. God's plan to reach the world is to use ordinary people who are filled with the Holy Spirit and walking in obedience as dispatched disciples. May I say to you this morning, stop thinking about how incapable or unqualified you are because the Holy Spirit is within you. Your ability is not important. Your availability is what matters. It's not your ability. It's your availability. So I'm asking you, are you placing your availability on the table before God? Are you saying, God, I'm here, I'm available. You say, well, I don't know this. That's fine, because it's not about your ability. It's not about whether or not you think you can do this or other. It's about being available to the Holy Spirit to work in and through your life. It's a conviction that Stephen had. God's Spirit fills me, therefore God can use me. Here's his second conviction. His second conviction is this. I have an obligation to be to others what Jesus has been to me. This was his conviction. This must be our conviction as well. We have an obligation to be to others what Jesus has been to us. Back in chapter 7 when it talks about Stephen as they were stoning him, I want you to listen to what is said. In verse 59 of Acts chapter 7, it says, as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Where have you heard those phrases before? I give you a hint. It starts with J and rhymes with Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. When Jesus was dying on the cross, he made statements very similar to this. As, don't miss this, as he is taking his dying breaths, Stephen is attempting to do for others what Jesus did for him. I think that's what it means to follow Jesus. I think it means that you look at your life as a sacrifice for others like Jesus sacrificed himself for you. Let me ask you this question. Won't you think about it? Spiritually, where would you be without Jesus? You would be on the road to hell, right? Without Jesus spiritually, you would be on the road to hell. That is the same place millions of people are today without you living as a dispatched disciple because hearing the gospel from God's people is an essential part of salvation. You see, the gospel is good news only if it reaches the person in time. If it reaches them after their death, it can't be good news for them. If Jesus sacrificed himself to save us, 
It makes sense that we ought to sacrifice ourselves to present salvation to them like Stephen did for people in his day. He lived with a conviction that he had an obligation to be to others what Jesus had been to him. Here's the third conviction that he had. Jesus is worth any sacrifice I make for the sake of the gospel. He was convinced that Jesus was worth any sacrifice he would make. Oh, this interesting verse is in chapter 7, verse 56. As Stephen is there being killed, being stoned to death, he said, Behold, I see the heavens open. I see the Son of Man. I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. I see Jesus, what? Standing at the right hand of God. Do a little search in your Bibles. For every instance where Jesus is described at being at God's right hand, this is about the only one where he's standing. Every other time, he's sitting. But in this instant, he's standing as if he's saying, Stephen, welcome home, good and faithful servant. You see, when Stephen stood up and he was bold in his declaration of who Jesus was, everyone in his culture stood up against him as he shared the gospel. And it's almost at his death like Jesus can't contain himself. And so Jesus stands in the same moment and he says, well done, good and faithful servant, welcome home. And his response reveals to us that Stephen believed that Jesus was worth his sacrifice. I want you to know this morning that the only thing that will give you the power to live as a dispatched disciple, the only thing that will give you the power to live sent by God into this world for the sake of the gospel is the conviction that Jesus is worth any sacrifice that you would make to accomplish that purpose. For you see, at some point, at some point, if you are serious about following Jesus, following him will cost you something. It will at some point take you in the opposite direction of where you think you want to go. And in that moment, the only thing that will move you forward is the belief that Jesus is worth it. At some point, <clears throat> you must decide who is worthy of offering of your life. At some point, you must decide if Jesus is worthy of your complete obedience. Will you think with me for just a moment about this? I want you to think about that person in your life that loves you more than anybody else loves you. If you're sitting by your spouse, hopefully it's your spouse. Maybe 
it was your mama or your daddy or your grandparents or maybe it's a good friend. But don't you think, in your mind, think of that person on this earth that loves you more than anyone else, or maybe they're no longer on this earth, but they loved you more than anyone else. Okay, that person may love you, but that person didn't create you. That person may love you, but that person did not die to save you. That person may love you, and that's a good thing. But that person won't be waiting for you at the end of your life to receive you into eternity. That person may love you, but you won't be standing around that person's throne proclaiming their worth for eternity. Only Jesus is worthy of our all. When John saw a vision of the angels gathered around Jesus in heaven, Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. He heard those angels declare what we declare as followers of Jesus today. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive honor and glory and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Ladies and gentlemen, we have one life. Let's make it count for the only thing that's going to matter in eternity. I believe to use our life for anything other than what matters in eternity is a waste of a life. But may we use it for that which will last forever. Maybe you're here this morning. And you can't be a dispatched disciple because you are not a disciple. There's never been a time in your life when you looked to Jesus for your salvation. When you prayed and in your prayer you confessed your sin to God and you asked him to be your savior. When you repented of that sin. I don't know the state of your soul before God. That's a matter between you and God. But I know that if you walked in here today without Jesus, you don't have to leave without him. You can leave with him. So in just a second, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, or as I pray, if you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, would you in that moment, as best you can, from your heart, talk to God? It's what we call prayer, talking to God. And in your talk with God, would you just confess your sin to him? Admit that you're a sinner? Tell God that you want to change your life, but you need him to change your heart. Repent of sin and ask him to save you. And if you do that as we pray in just a second, when we stand and sing, we want to celebrate that with you. Just come share that with me. Just come say, Pastor, I, I asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. If, you, if you've got questions about that, then we want to help you work through that process. You can come down here. If you don't like to come down in front of people, I'm going to be right outside these doors to the right by a big desk that says next step, and I'll be there as long as I need to be there. If you need someone to help talk with you through what it means to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. But what about those of us in this room who have made that decision?
can I, as pastorally as I possibly can, ask you to stop making excuses to God as to why you can't be used to share the gospel? If the Holy Spirit's within you, that's all you need. Will you rely on that Holy Spirit? Will you today say, you know, God, you know I'm not able to do anything, but I'm going to put my availability. Here I am, Lord, here I am, send me. Whatever God's calling you to do, will you simply place your yes on that table today? Would you bow your head? I'm going to pray. After I pray, we're going to stand and sing, and you're just going to do exactly what God has called you to do today. Father, I thank you that Jesus was sent into this world to save sinners among whom I am the worst. But his grace was greater than my sin. And Father, I have nothing of my own ability to bring to you this morning. I am a vessel that has been dirtied by sin and broken by my own decisions. But you have taken what has been marred and you have made it again. And Father, I pray for those of us in this room who might be in that situation today. That we would simply place ourselves in the potter's hand. And that you would rework us and our lives as you deem best. Father, I pray for the ones in this room who've never asked you to be your Lord and Savior, that right now at this moment, your Holy Spirit brought them here for this purpose. As they cry out to you, God, would, would you give them your Holy Spirit to lift the curse and the power of that sin from their lives, that they would walk in newness of life. Help us to simply say yes to what you're calling us to do. In Jesus' good name we pray. Amen.